thanks to Krishna, and then it occurred to me that they both descended. So um, I started doing a little research, and then the more I I read, the more I thought, well, this is we got to do visuals for this. So it just grew into a slideshow. So it is a, a first. So let's see how it goes. Ladies and gentlemen, the ascensions of Christ and Krishna. Well, that's the end. <laughs> you gotta go to the beginning. Oh, I guess I do that. Huh? Let's see. Yeah, oh, now we gotta go into the slide mode. Can you get it? <laughs> Never turns out like it doesn't rehearse the <laughs> Of course, we didn't even rehearse. We just went in. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the ascensions of Christ and Krishna. The ascension of Jesus is the departure of Christ from earth into the presence of God. According to the Gospel of Luke, Christ's ascension happened the same day as his resurrection by God, three days after his crucifixion, on what today we call Easter Sunday. According to the book of Acts, however, the ascension took place 40 days after the resurrection, in full view of his disciples, though partially hidden by clouds. At that time, two men in white appeared to say, Jesus will return. Quote, in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Whichever account one accepts, both describe the ascension as the exaltation of Jesus, quote, who took his seat at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. So you see a classic Christian um, artistic depiction of God being because he's the creator, he must be very old. So certainly God is the original person, he's the source. But in the Vedic literature, we find out that along with being uh, Paran and Purush, the oldest person, He's also Navayovanamcha. He's always appearing like a fresh youth. So that's the mystic power of God. He can be simultaneously, inconceivably, the oldest and the freshest. Luke 24 also tells how. After the resurrection, 
Jesus led his disciples to Bethany, a village on the Mount of Olives. Quote, and it came to pass, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. According to the Gospel of John, Jesus described the uniqueness of his ascension. Quote, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. I'll read that again. No one has ascended into heaven. This is Jesus speaking, according to John. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. John 3.13 Interestingly, Jesus' description matches the Vedic definition of an avatar or, quote, one who descends. Our Srila Prabhupada's spiritual master, when asked about the identity of Jesus, said, oh, he is Shaktyavesh avatar. He's in Sanskrit terms. Shaktyavesh avatar is someone who is endowed with the power of God to do something very special. So just see how empowered Jesus was that here we are more than 2,000 years after his um, crucifixion and resurrection and still what he preached is so powerfully um, influencing the world. That is Shakti Adesh Avatar. It means an, an empowered person, divinely empowered person. Predictably, modern theologians have a hard time accepting the ascension's, quote, spiritual physics. Biblical cosmology depicts a three-part universe that's in the upper left corner. With the heavens above, the plane of earth in the middle, and the underworld below. Heaven is separated from the earth by the firmament, an inverted sphere where God's palace sits on pillars amid a celestial sea. Humans looking up from earth see the floor of heaven made of clear blue gems. And this is strikingly echoing uh, our own Brahma Sangita, where the spiritual world is described as uh, full of spiritual gems, built of spiritual gems. Chintamani, Chintamani Dham. Chintamani Prakarasatmasu Kalpa Brikshalakshamritishu Surabhiravipalayandam. So that means that all the houses are built with spiritual gems. You don't need uh, the power company because the gems are self effulgent. And, uh, and the trees are all desire trees, which means you can pick from them anything you want. You are not limited to one kind of fruit. And the, the cows, you can milk them anytime because the cows know that you're going to take their milk and offer it to Krishna as a love offering. Mm -hmm. 
Though the Bible's descriptions embarrass the modern mechanistic mind, boxed in as it is, and browbeaten by big bangs and black holes, they resemble more, those descriptions, those biblical descriptions, resemble more the Vedic description of multiverses exhaled by the Supreme Father, Krishna, whose own ascension we will now examine. So there's Krishna when he likes to manifest the material cosmos. He lies down in what's called Yoga Nidra, mystic slumber, and he exudes and breathes universes out and then they expand from there. This is called Yogeshwara, uh, the master of all mystics. As Jesus aptly put it, quote, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven. As Jesus' Jesus's birth was miraculous, so was Krishna's. Jesus descended as the divine son of God to Joseph and Mary, his virgin mother. Who ever heard of a virgin mother? Well, it's possible with Jesus, right? Immaculate conception. And similarly, um, Krishna, the father of all avatars, first descended as Vishnu. You see in the slide, there's Krishna first appearing as Vishnu, God the maintainer, to Vasudeva and Devaki. These are great souls playing part of Krishna's earthly parents. Then Krishna assumed the form of a baby to play as their son. Avatar in Sanskrit is Sanskrit for, quote, one who descends. On January 19th, 1974, while lecturing on the Srimad Bhagavatam 1.16.23 in Honolulu, Srila Prabhupada unpacked the word this way. I had never heard this. This is Prabhupada's very minute analysis of the word avatar. <coughs> quote, Avatar, this word is very significant. The Tara, Tara means movement, and Ava, Ava means down. So, Ava, Tara. Krishna lives in the spiritual sky, beyond this material sky, very high. And Krishna Loka, the planet of Krishna, is the topmost planet in this spiritual world. So Krishna comes down from there. Therefore, Avatar, quote, comes down. Therefore, he's called Avatar. Or any Vishnu incarnation who comes down, they come down from the higher planetary system. Therefore, it is called Avatar. When Krishna descended to earth over five millennia ago, his stated mission was, quote, to deliver the pious and to annihilate the miscreants. 
as well as to re-establish the principles of religion. I myself appear millennium after millennium. The Sanskrit is actually Srijan Yaham. He comes by his own energy. He's not forced into this world by karma. Like when we take birth, we take birth according to the momentum of our past karma, our past material desire. So we end up in all these different kinds of bodies according to the momentum of our past desire. Krishna comes, he's not impelled or compelled by any other force except his own sweet will. So, Sujadhyam. Uh, so that mission, Krishna's mission, when he came, culminated in the battle of Kurukshetra, the setting of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna orchestrated the triumph of good over evil, as recorded in the Vedic epic Mahabharata. So perhaps you know the Mahabharata. The Kurukshetra war is the climax of the Mahabharata. This intrigue, this epic of good versus evil, over such long periods of time, culminates in a big battle. And just before the battle, you see in the, in the slide, Krishna turns to Arjuna and he says, uh, Just behold, Partha, all the Kurus who are assembled here. Because he knows Arjuna is getting, as we say, cold feet. He doesn't want to fight, even though he's a great warrior. Because on the other side, Arjuna can see friends and family. So he doesn't want to go through with this. So Krishna sings the whole Bhagavad Gita, just as the whole world is, is, is transfixed by the two armies. He's, Krishna slips in the, the message of the Gita just to induce Arjuna to fight. So this literally happened, but also uh, Arjuna is like all of us, like every man. We all on the, we're all on the battlefield of life and we're confused. And so we need to hear Krishna to know how to proceed. Because it's, uh, it's a great struggle, struggle for existence. And there's many ways we can go, up, down, sideways, inside out. So that's Bhagavad Gita. By the time Lord Krishna completed his mission, he had been on earth over 125 years, but he still looked like fresh youth. Again, he wasn't subject to time because time is one of his own energies. Moreover, Krishna had married 16,108 queens. And by each queen, he had 10 sons totaling 161,080 sons. So this is a little picture of Krishna entering entering Dwarka, his, uh, the place where he lived when he was playing the part of a, a prince, royalty. So for every queen, 16,108 queens, Krishna had a palace. Each queen had her own palace. And he had 10 sons by each queen. So that's like a huge dynasty. And every one of these sons, they were like invincible, invincible warriors. So that's 
was good while they were on the earth while Krishna was doing his mission. But then Krishna began to realize, descended from the moon, Lord Krishna's Yadu dynasty was so powerful. The Lord knew that before he left earth, he himself had to arrange for the, for the dynasty's own destruction. Because power is, is the ultimate intoxicant, and so Krishna was worried that if his descendants were left on earth, that they might abuse their power. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. So he figured, okay, I've got to actually arrange for their <laughs> departure. He had to arrange for their destruction, lest his own relatives become another burden on the world. So here's what Krishna did. It's a long story involving a curse and all kinds of mystical events. Bewildered by Lord Krishna's own illusory energy at a sacred place called Prabhas, the Yadu warriors became so intoxicated on rice wine they began to kill one another with iron-like sticks till not one was left alive. And this is in the picture. You see Krishna and Balaram. They're personally taking part in making sure that none of them survive. They're finishing off their, their own dynasty. The stage was now set for Lord Krishna's ascension. Just before Krishna returned to his eternal abode, he imparted final instructions to humanity through his devotee, Uddhava, later recorded in the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam in chapters referred to as the Uddhava Gita. You see in the slide Krishna manifesting four arms. When Krishna was playing as a prince, he was in what he called what's called his Vasudeva feature not the original Vrindavan feature where Krishna is a charming coward boy. He's manifesting uh, four arms. And Uddhava was his dear devotee. And he looked so much like Krishna that when Krishna sent him on a mission to Vrindavan, all the gopi, uh, the coward girls, the coward boys, and the gopas and the elderly, they, they thought he was Krishna at first. And then they realized, oh, this is Uddhava. And he gave him, he gave them all news of Krishna. So, in at Kurukshetra, Krishna spoke to Arjuna Bhagavad Gita, which is like the basics, the foundation of transcendental knowledge. But for more information, uh, we can turn to the Uddhava Gita, which is what we didn't have. Krishna didn't have time to explain, just as the battle was about to ensue. It's many chapters in the eleventh canto. Lord Krishna, after observing the destruction of the others and after delivering his final instructions to Uddhava, sat silently under a pipala tree at Prabhas, his left foot with its lotus red sole upon his right thigh. Just then, a nearby hunter, mistaking the Lord's foot for a deer's face, 
shot an arrow, which appeared to pierce the Lord's foot. When he came closer, however, the hunter saw the arrow had only pierced the ground at the Lord's lotus feet. So in the text, actually, it says that the arrow did pierce the Lord's foot, but in the commentaries by the pure devotees, they say this was a trick to give people who wanted to believe that Krishna was an ordinary person to, to, to believe that. Oh, just see, Krishna's shot the foot by a hunter. He couldn't be all everybody says he is. So we may note here that just as the hunter mistakenly thought his arrow had pierced a deer's face, so atheistic philosophers mistakenly think their mental gymnastics can disprove God, whose inconceivable potency remains far beyond their belligerent thinking power. Assuring the terrified hunter that what had just happened was actually his own will. The Lord then summoned a divine airship, which carried the hunter back to the spiritual sky. So it's quite a turn of events for the hunter. He thought he had shot Krishna. And Krishna said, no, no, you're, 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 this is perfect. You're doing what I wanted. So here, for, uh, here's your reward. Just get aboard that airplane and he ascended. Anticipating Lord Krishna's ascension, imminent ascension, the chief demigods of the universe arrived at Prabhas and showered flowers on the Lord, who, quote, closed his lotus eyes. This is right from the Bhagavatam now. How Krishna disappeared, how he ascended. Fixing his mind within himself, the supreme personality of Godhead, unquote. As kettle drums resounded in the heavens, the Lord rose to his own abode, though most of the celestials could not see him. Quote, just as ordinary men cannot ascertain the path of a lightning bolt as it leaves a cloud, so the demigods could not trace out the movements of the Lord, Krishna, as he returned to his own abode. All the celestials praised the Lord's mystic power and then return, return to their own planets. And then the, the narrator, Sutta Goswami, says this, The Supreme Lord's appearance and disappearance, which resemble those of embodied conditioned souls, are actually a show enacted by his illusory energy, just like the performance of an actor. And creating this universe, he enters into it, plays within it for some time, and at last, winds it up. The Lord remains situated in his own transcendental glory. So similarly, the Shaktivesh avatars, they come on a particular mission, like Buddha the Enlightened, and uh, Muhammad the Messenger, and Jesus the Savior, and they're not really under the influence of material energy, although they appear to be going through so many trials and tribulations. But actually, they're doing the Lord's mission. And they ascend, they descend, and ascend by the Lord's sweet will. As Jesus Christ and Lord Krishna ascended to the spiritual kingdom, 
By their mercy, so can we, especially by praising God's holy names. Quote, hallowed be thy name, said Jesus, teaching us how to pray in Matthew 6, 9-13. In the Vedic tradition, the unlimited Lord has unlimited holy names, full of unlimited spiritual energies. Of all those unlimited names, the Hare Krishna mantra, containing three names of God, arranged in a 16-name spiritual sound formula, is especially potent to carry us back home, back to Godhead. All aboard! Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Thank <laughs> you.